This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry all right we are back on the post game show with the show we've been waiting for all year Jamie Drysdale gets his NHL debut. Trevor Zegris gets his first NHL goal, assisted by Jamie Drysdale. And not only does Jamie Drysdale make his NHL debut, he tops it off with his first NHL goal and a two-point night. What, man, you, you look back over the last couple seasons, what, when when have we ever been this happy as Ducks fans over the last couple of years? This has been by far, I think, uh, in at least recent memory, the most exciting game we've had in a long time. Yeah, <clears throat> I think there have definitely been some highlights uh, over the last couple of years, some moments that pop. Um, even this season, you know, with uh, Lundestrom's hat trick, right? That was that was a great night, I think. But I think I think the thing that's special about tonight is, fair or not, we've been, you know, kind of attaching our hopes for the years to come to these two kids. You know, these are the two especially based on, you know, some of Bob Murray's comments over the last year and a half. Um, these have kind of been the two that we really are just like, okay, this is, this is all right. And to see both of them, you know, kind of deliver in the same night. And, you know, I know Zegers has been playing well, regardless of not scoring a goal, but to see him get the goal is it's big, you know? And um, it was just, a, it was just a blast to watch tonight. It was a lot of fun. It's It's big because both of them, right? Like, it's a culmination of so many things tonight. Like already it was a big night because Jamie Drysdale is making his NHL debut. Mm -hmm. And I know we joked at the beginning of, uh, before the game tonight on Twitter and said, you know, the only thing that tops this night is if Trevor Zegers gets his first NHL goal assisted by Jamie Drysdale. And that eventually does happen, but it comes after Jamie Drysdale picks up his first NHL goal with it, not even without some drama there because we thought it was Max Jones for a little bit. And then uh, mm -hmm. it ends up getting changed to Jamie Drysdale. But, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that so many things kind of went right for Ducks fans in this game. You know, like I said, the debut of six overall pick from last year, Jamie Drysdale. He gets his first goal, picks up a two-point night. Trevor Zegers breaks the Duck. He's got a little two-game point streak going because he had an assist in the last game. Like, this is this is what we've been waiting for all season. Um, you know, since Zegers came up, we've been waiting for that first goal, and he's come close so many times. He hit the post last game. You felt like it was coming. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at the relief uh, on his face when he scores. We've got the gif up on uh, on the stream right now. 
of his celebration. Uh, you know, monkey off the back there. And then you mentioned to me before the show uh, tonight the the kind of intermission presser that he had. You could just uh, you could tell how relieved he was to get he was that one. Hyped man, he was he was like he was like vibrating. He was so excited. It was so funny to see. Um. It was just wonderful, man. And, you know, he he gets to play with his boy. We kind of heard from when they were both with the goals that they had gotten kind of close. And, you know, uh, they had the whole World Juniors Championship thing. And it was cool, you know, to see the two of them really kind of had go off and kind of make the night theirs. Um, you know, and I think to your point about, you know, this is kind of what we've been waiting to see. I think this night, not to, you know, make a mountain out of a molehill or anything, but I think this night is a pretty good kind of idea of what we had hoped to get out of this year. And I think um, the the best version of what it is Bob Murray was telling himself going into the season, which is that we saw two kids make plays and put the, the team in a position to win a game. And then the veterans came in. Ryan Miller had a great night. Uh, you know, they went with the all-veteran power play at the end, and they get the goal. And Henrique gets the goal, and so... It's kind of exactly that recipe, which is the kids do, you know, enough during a game to keep them in it. And then you have the veterans to, you know, step in and kind of help give the whole team that extra push and that extra presence. And so, um, you know, like I said, I don't want to make too, too much out of it, but I do think it was very interesting that in their first game and they both uh score that we also see then the the veterans kind of do their part and finish it off yeah we see Getzlaff get his 700th career assist in the same game mm-hmm. then Seagrass and Drysdale get their first NHL goals and then obviously like you said Henry getting the power play goal and it was a veteran lineup out there to win the game in overtime it's just just kind of a cool game to get and it's funny how quickly the emotions change right we go from uh, you know, just a horrific loss to the Avalanche two days ago. Uh, we were up four two in the first. You end up losing eight to four, and and it was it felt like rock bottom. We had I think Eric Stevens tweeted out or somebody did saying like, "Is this rock bottom for the Ducks in franchise history? Like, is this the worst it can get?" And you you can talk to any Ducks fan tonight, and uh, nobody knows or nobody remembers right now that the Ducks are where they are in the standings and just came off an eight to four loss. Like you. you I don't think you can find an unhappy Ducks fan uh, anywhere right now, just because this is what we've been waiting for in terms of you know some progress and some sign that you know the future is bright for for Ducks fans and for the organization. Because obviously, there's a lot of things that we've been talking about all year. You know, the negatives, the downside of this season. Um, you know, the some of the kids not being able to step up. You know, you know, we, I think before this game, one of the headliners we were going to talk about tonight was Sam Steele being scratched for a third straight game, and it now doesn't, at least for the time being, doesn't feel like any yeah. of that matters, right? It it really, it, it's you know all kind of put to the side at least for now, and I think that's deservedly so, right? You know, Ducks fans deserve this game. And this feeling, at least once in a you know in, in a year, especially this year, now, this has been a, a somber year. Luckily, it is a short fifty uh, fifty two game or fifty six game season, where uh, you know you don't have to suffer through too many of those losses. You you get these these kind of moments in, in a down year like that, and that's that's kind of what you wait for, right? Is is to to have these bright spots that come up every now and then. Yeah. No. Exactly. I mean, you know, I think. You know, we've seen Zegris, right? He's played a few games up, and so we've, we've been able to kind of get ourselves accustomed to the level of specialty. And that's not to say that anybody's jaded, because it still stands out so clearly with what he does. But then having 
you know, Dreesdale come in and play like this was wonderful. I mean, even if he doesn't score tonight, does anybody think he doesn't look um doesn't doesn't look NHL ready? I mean, uh, he, the stuff he did without the puck on his stick was remarkable. Like, you know, he really did. He found a great, you know, he I'm kind of stepping over myself, but he found uh, a lot of ways to use his skating to make up for the fact that he's not the biggest, strongest guy on the ice, right? He he plays so well on the, you know, like with his stick, his, you know, it just felt like he had an active stick, but it was clean and it was, uh, you know, precise and with, it was, it was aggressive with intent is what I think I mean to say. He, you know, made a number of plays by just getting the puck off somebody's stick and he didn't even have to do anything really beyond that it was wonderful i think um you know i said during the game like are we 100 percent sure even with a fully healthy roster he's the excuse me uh he's not the third best defenseman on the team like yeah and you know it it, just looked phenomenal tonight. it's early but it's hard to not think that right now right it's it's almost as perfect as an nhl debut you could have as an 18 year old Mm -hmm. defenseman in this league where no mistakes or no evident, you know, really obvious mistakes. The the skating was the is the big part of his game and the hallmark of his game. And it was on full display. You know, great playmaking, picks up a secondary assist, and and then the big thing I think on his goal is just the ability to walk the line. Like how many guys on this Ducks blue line can do that the way Jamie no, Drysdale no, did that, and no, then get no, no. get a clean shot on net, right? Like you know, I think we've we've seen Chattenkirk do that on occasion. Cam Fowler can do that, but then also add in the fact that. You get a clean shot on net through a screen, and you know Max Jones is where he needs to be. He's blocking out the sun in front of the net, and uh, Jamie Drysdale does what he needs to do, and he gets a shot on net. And and you, you can't ask for any more. And you know the Iriotters are watching this, and I'm sure they're they're slightly proud, but also slightly afraid that this means they might not get him back for the OHL season. And you know it, it's probably the perfect time for the Ducks to throw him in here and see what they have, because it's hard to sit here after this game. And yeah, it's only one game. But to sit here and and say that he's going to go back to the OHL right now, it feels like it, it's a bit further off from that than it was before this game. And you know, it's not to say he's going to come in every game and put up a multi-point effort and and look as good as he did. But you know, outside of the points, like you said, he just looked so confident out there. He looked mm-hmm. like the Ducks' best defenseman by far. He played 18 minutes tonight. You know, the he he did have a bit of a sheltered game, but I think. As much as we've criticized Dallas Akins and the coaching staff for mishandling Trevor Zegers in his minutes and, and kind of how they deploy him, I think they deployed Jamie Drysdale perfectly for an 18-year-old defenseman in his NHL debut. You know, he threw 18, just over 18 minutes, he had one defensive zone start. He got put in offensive zone situations to to really kind of excel uh, off his skill set. And then the one thing you kind of thought before the game is where, which power play is he going to go on? Was it going to be power play one? Was he going to go on power play two? And... You know, they end up putting him on the first power play unit. Uh, they didn't take Shattenkirk off. They just went with two defensemen. And that really shows the confidence that they have in him to to be that guy. And uh, it, it really shows a big difference from what they've done with Zegris. And, you know, Zegris is a skilled enough player that even if he only plays 11 minutes tonight like he did, he ends up scoring a goal and looking great no matter what. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it, it kind of pushes that to the side a little bit here where, you know, yeah, they've mishandled Zegers, and we've been critical of the coaching staff for doing so. But I'll give them full credit tonight for the way they handled Jamie Drysdale. I thought it was a perfect execution. 
Yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I would push back a little bit on mishandled. I think they have been overly conservative and overly cautious. Um, but I, I don't think they've mishandled him, you know, I, personally, you know what I mean? I don't want to speak for anybody else, but like for me, I, I definitely think they have been overly cautious and he has played himself into position uh, to be trusted more. But I, I don't think they've done anything to tank his confidence or jerk him around or anything like that. I think they've just treated him like a young, exciting offensive prospect. And, you know, that's how they go with it. Um, but, you know, I mean, the thing for me is Drewsdale played 16 minutes at even strength. So that's huge. And he never looked, you know, uncomfortable. Um, you know, I think it should be noted that he played it's one game against a borderline playoff team. If you want to be nice, don't, don't do this. Come on. We can't do this. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, it, it is, you know, if you want to look at it in any kind of way, like I think that's all fine and well to like temper your expectations and not get ahead of yourself because it's his first game. He's there's going to be ups and downs along the journey. But what you saw tonight is the kind of player that he can be and the kind of impact that he can do. And as he gets older and as he learns the NHL game more, there's no reason to not be incredibly excited about this. And, you know, the dynamic that he can bring to this team, like you said, I don't think there's anybody on the team except for maybe Zegris himself who can walk the line like that. And to see him get off such a good shot so it just there was so much about his game tonight that I was so happy with that um I just think it was a wonderful sign yeah and and let's let's break down those goals because I think you know out of anything tonight we don't need to talk about the first period and and how Arizona started It, it really is about the two goals tonight and again looking at this this Jamie Drysdale goal and and talking about him walking the line you know, he does a couple pump fakes that he's gonna gonna end up shooting the puck, and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits for a two player screen, which I think is is you know, speaks volumes of of his ability to walk the line and 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 his hockey sense as a, an offensive defenseman. Where, you know, he's got the forward who's pressing him, and he waits until Goligoski moves into kind of a linear position with the forward, so that he's got a two person screen, and then he shoots the puck. And Max Jones is there, not really blocking the goaltender, but there for any potential deflection if the puck's going wide. And, you know, again, this speaks volumes to Drysdale's ability and his his hockey sense on this play that he has mm-hmm. the confidence as an 18-year-old in his NHL debut to make that play. And, and again, the, that just shows you the level, uh, uh, the way, you know, the 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 level he thinks the game at already and why he looks mm-hmm. so comfortable, right? Like who cares? You know, the, the, in the modern NHL, you don't really need to be a big guy on the blue line to succeed. You need to have great skating and you need to think the game a one step ahead of your opponent. And Jamie Drysdale has that already. And, you know, again, it is one game and, and we all hyped up and excited tonight, but it is for a good reason because it's not like he threw a puck on that and it took, you know, three bounces and went in or, you know, a Sam Steele type goal where, you know, mm-hmm. the other night where it went in off his foot. It, it is a great individual play here uh, and one you, you expect every kind of high-end uh, NHL defenseman, young NHL defenseman, to be able to execute. And for him to be already doing that, I think, is, is what gets Ducks fans really excited. And, uh, and, you know, everybody's ready now to watch the next game. And we know he's going to be yeah. in the lineup. There's no way he gets out of the lineup after this. 
Yeah, you definitely hope not. I mean, I, I I'm getting a little bit of stick from the uh, the chat right now, but like I, I really don't mean to be a joy kill. I was so happy with everything that happened. I, you know, I think the thing, you know, that separates great players from good players is being able to leverage your strengths to, you know, make up for whatever deficit you may have, right? And we saw that tonight with Drysdale. Like you said, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but it didn't matter because he was so confident. He was so poised. He was able to read the plays really well, and he used his elite skating, which is what we heard about him going into the draft and what we were told coming out about him, you know, that even if he didn't hit his ceiling, right, as maybe a 50, 60-point defenseman, his skating was going to make him an NHL-caliber player regardless. And tonight, what you saw is he used that skating to make plays in both zones. And it's huge. And yeah, you know, the, he showed a bunch of poise on that power play. He was buzzing around. I think a little bit before his goal, he was pressing down on the right side and ended up having to do a full loop back up to, uh, you know, all the way up to the point. But he was just so, he was mentally and physically engaged in the game in a way that was really exciting to see. And, you know, you, you really hope he doesn't end up back in Erie. Yeah. Uh, and that this coaching staff really does give him the opportunity to to stick around for a while because he seems clearly to be ready from a skill level. You know? Yeah, like I'll, I'll preface it with it's not the end of the world if he goes back to Erie. It's not the, the worst thing. Yes, for... it is. That's not – you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> it, He's the only, Him and Zegers are the only hope we have these like, days. Would I love for him to stick around and be here for the rest of the season? 100%. Um, you know, not even just based off that game, just based off – you know, uh, looking at the Ducks blue line right now, can he do a better job than Hutton, Larson, Hackenpah? I think it's no question he can't. Uh, and he makes this team better in the lineup, even without, you know, a goal and assist here. But I think you can't even just take this one NHL game into account. Like, he's played 14 games in San Diego and has 10 points. So it's not like he, yeah. you know, was bad there, had a great NHL debut, and that's it. He's shown he can play against pros in the AHL level and do really well. He was rookie of the month for February and then comes into his first NHL game and does this. And it's it's hard to take both of those into account because we can sit here and say, oh, it's a small sample size. It's one NHL game. When you take into the AHL you know, stretch he's had here over the last month and a bit and add that into the mixture with this NHL debut, I don't know how you can make an argument for sending him back. You know, you could, you could say, yeah, he's 18 and whatever. Before the season, you thought... He should probably get some time in the OHL. Uh, and Erie will be probably lobbying a bit to have him back and, and make their team better. But, you know, it's not like the Ducks have, you know, five or six defensemen that are clearly better than him right now. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to, to really put too many guys in front of him. I think just based on, you know, experience and longevity with the team, you know, nobody's really unseating Lindholm or Fowler. You know, Lindholm's obviously out, but Fowler, Lindholm, Manson, if he comes back, you know, they're not, I mean, in the sense, I mean, they're not getting scratched, right? Like, they're not getting getting yeah, taken no, out of the lineup that's... for um, Fred, Jamie, Drysdale, and Shattenkirk's probably in that mix too, but that's four guys. You know, those remaining two spots, uh, there's no question. I, you know, I think he's better than Larson. He's better than Hutton. He's better than Hackenpah. And as much as I love Josh Mahara, I would have liked to see him in the lineup tonight. He's showing he's potentially better than Josh Mahara. He outproduced him at the AHL level and uh, and came in and looked like a dynamic player. And that's not a jab 
at Josh Maher, that just tells you the the quality of player that uh, the Jamie Drysdale is. No, yeah, exactly right. I don't I don't think it because I don't think any of us have sat here and been upset with Maher's play. He's a young defenseman um, in a very weird situation on a team in a weird spot, and he's played well. He's done what they've asked him to do. He's looked you know, as comfortable and as confident as maybe you expect from someone who's been up and down the last few years. But Drysdale coming in and being better isn't a slight to him. It's a testament to Drysdale. Um, and it's it's wonderful. You know, I, I think you actually kind of hit on something that I was thinking about watching this game. Like, if everyone is healthy, what six defensemen are you putting on an, on, out every night? Yeah, I, I think there, there's an obvious six for me um, when you have Lintel, Manson, Fowler, Shattenkirk, and Mahura and Drysdale. Uh, you, you could debate, um, you know, Josh Mahura if you want and, and maybe put in Hockenpah if, if you want, you know, a bit of a different presence there. But I think Hockenpah serves a purpose as a, as a seventh defenseman that if you are coming up against a more physical side and you want that presence back there, um, which is still a thing. Like, listen, Hockenpah has not been good lately. You know, he they, outside the first week of the season with Cam Fowler, he hasn't been that great. But I can understand putting him in the lineup for certain games if you want to go with that approach. Um, you know, it's a bit more of an old school approach of having that physical guy and swamping him in. Um, so I don't mind him hanging around there. But Jacob Larson hasn't been good, and Ben Hutton, uh, you know, hasn't been an excellent addition. He looked good tonight, but he was also playing with Jamie Drysdale, and he was getting sheltered minutes of his own tonight, right? right? So outside the PK, he only had the yeah. one defensive zone start too so you know i think we've all been waiting to see a josh maher jamie drysdale uh pairing in the ahl and now in the nhl and that might be a little bit too much chaos in terms of both guys pinching up the ice and, and maybe that's where a guy like larson or hutton checks in just to kind of rain you know pull the reins back a little bit but out you know that top five i think with drysdale in there now is is pretty set and you can kind of rotate in and out who you want between hutton larson and hack upon that bottom pairing yeah, no, I um it, it's interesting. I think you know, I think the thing with Hockenpah recently has been that the limits of his ability have been a little strained, right? He's not a great skater, but he's pretty smart for a guy who isn't the most mobile and he makes up for that with that and you know his size and he uses his size well. He's big, he's physical, he moves guys around. Um you know, there's a reason he wasn't in the NHL before, and you see that sometimes when he gets caught out of play, uh, out of position on, you know, uh, what do you call it, on like the penalty kill and stuff. Like it just happens. Um, you know, a good a good power play is supposed to force penalty killers to make mistakes, and you know that happens sometimes. But you know, I think at this point, I would be hard pressed to say that Lindholm, Fowler, Shattenkirk, Manson. Dreesdale and Mahura aren't the six guys that should be out there every night. And I think the interesting thing about that is you can pretty much, even if you keep left and right the same, you can do so many different things with those six defensemen as far as creating pairs that, you know, you could almost have a top six that's actually a top six and not, you know, a top four and two guys that we lump in with. Uh, you know, I, I think you could really put out three incredibly competent and successful pairs if those are your six defensemen. And yeah, 
Hutton or Hawk and Paws, a perfectly fine seventh guy, you know, give somebody a break, somebody gets banged up, something like that. You know, things happen. Depth is important. But, you know, on a nightly basis going forward, um, you know, in this year, I think can kind of be thrown out the window just because there there's going to be questions about what they're going to do with anybody. Right. Um, but I think starting next year, I have a hard time thinking those aren't the six guys that should be in the opening night lineup unless somebody does something really special in the meantime. Um, you know, I, I just think it's a, it's a really exciting time right now for Ducks fans. I think what we saw tonight is so much of what we have been waiting to see for the last three or four years, which is some positive from the future or for the future. You know, what is the way out of what has just not been fun for the last couple of years? And you saw it tonight. You saw two young players who look like they have the potential to be stars. Like, that's awesome. Like, that's just so wonderful. And we haven't had players like that in a long time. You know, offensive difference makers that aren't 33 is just so nice. Uh, you know, and there's plenty of other players in the pipeline that can come in and fill roles and fill different needs. And, you know, uh, the same still thing is is interesting, but it's not the most important thing right now. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think there's a lot to be excited for going forward, regardless of what happens the rest of the season, barring something, you know, beyond catastrophic or stupid. Um, there's just so much to be excited for that this is kind of a high we can ride for. A yeah, while. and when we were looking at this this young group of kids coming up, the the thing that we always kind of drew back to was it, they're missing, a, you know, one, two, three star players you know, really high-caliber prospects to come in and make a difference and elevate the game of guys like Troy Terry mm -hmm. and Max Jones and Maxim Comtois and Sam Steele. And, you know, you look at Trevor Zegers' goal, it's a great pass from Troy Terry, who's looked excellent over the last mm -hmm. couple of games, and he seems to really have an understanding of playing with Trevor Zegers. And if you give Trevor Zegers the puck in, in that area, you know, he hits the post last game on a one-on-one -on -one with a goaltender. He makes no mistake this time, doesn't go to the backhand, pulls it, you know, toe drags around the goaltender and just scoops it up over Aiden Hill. Uh, that's the, the, you know, the dynamic uh, ability that Trevor Zegers has is that if you give him that opportunity, if he misses once, he's going to make you pay the second time. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he's elevated the game of the guys he's played with. Adam Henrique has looked revived playing, you know, just being back in the lineup, but also playing with Trevor Zegers. And I really, really like how Troy Terry's looked over the last couple of games. And, and I will eat my, my words there. And, you know, I've been very critical of Troy Terry over the last little bit here. And this, you know, kind of couple weeks or month that he's had where he's really taken a step forward here and, and taken advantage of the opportunities he's been given that, you know, this is arguably the Ducks' best line right now with Zegris, Henrik, and, and Troy Terry. And I know we flipped through that a lot this year. We say, oh, this is the best line and this is the best line. But it really looks like a line that, could get going here for the rest of the season and can continue to be the Ducks' most dynamic line offensively. Uh, and it all kind of begins and ends with the the creativity and, and the offensive ability of Trevor Zegers. Um, and, you know, watch out. You know, he's, got, he's got his first now. And uh, the last thing this kid mm -hmm. needs if you're an opposition player is more confidence and, and, and right. you know, the monkey off his back. And, 
you know, as excited as I am to see him get that goal in this game, I'm just as excited to see him in the next game and see what he can do. And and that's a player that we haven't had in Anaheim for I don't know how long. You know, a guy you're excited to watch the next game for. Where like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, Brian Gretzlaff is a great player. Corey Perry's a great player. But we're you know, I don't want to say were we ever excited to watch them play because we were, but have you ever been this excited about just the potential for this guy to just do things you really can't you don't see that often in the in the nhl from a player his age right that is something i think ducks fans haven't had for a while like look at minnesota right now you know they have almost never had that since marion gabrick and now they have mm-hmm. kirill kaprasov and every game is an exciting game for wilds fan to get out there and just watch him play whether they win or lose just being able to watch him play mm-hmm. and do things they haven't seen a player of theirs do for a long time and trevor zegris is that guy right now and uh, you know, I I'm more than excited to to see what he can do in the next game. It's another game against the Coyotes, and uh, I'm sure he's feeling it right now. So it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. Yeah, no, it's great. It's yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, as much as I can be critical of him, I would say the last time there was a player with the type of skill that it, that made you excited, um, you know, was Bobby Ryan. But I think that was a much more different type of skill um you know he used his body and his wingspan and his stick and you know he always did that thing where he'd go down the left wing and he'd just you know hold the puck 30 feet from his body on the end of his 25 foot stick um and you know make a hard cut in and things like that and I think that's that was all fun and even Getzloff and Perry man like they were great to watch especially when they were younger you know they still had their legs under them they were just incredible and they could just control the tone of a game for 25 minutes a night if they wanted to like they were incredible and they were physical presences and they were great but (laughs) the stuff that zegris tries is just so light like there's just such a levity to the way that he plays the game he's so excited to be out there every night and it's so nice to have someone like that on this team, you know, I think you really do kind of have to go back to Korea and Solani as far as having guys that are having that kind of skill and speed combination in a way that is video game esque, sports center esque, right? You know, those highlight level plays that you can take someone who's never watched a hockey game and show them this and be like, which one of these guys is special? And they're like, oh yeah, that guy right there. He's very special. You can just see it. Um, and and I think that's just a wonderful thing um, to have going forward. And I think there's a lot of, you know, players in the pipeline to be excited about. But even if this is it for right now, it's just these two guys for the rest of the year. Damn, man, I'm stoked. I'm so happy to get to watch games now just because of the way they play and how smart they are and how unscared of the moment they are i think that's for me the thing that stands out it's just there's a fearlessness to them that isn't reckless it's just confident and they're just like no man i'm a good player like i got taken where i got taken in the draft for a reason i'm here for a reason so i'm gonna play my game and i'm gonna do the best that i can and we're gonna go from there and they look fantastic you know like i said it's gonna be a long year for them and even over the next year or two there's gonna be ups and downs and all sorts of crap like that but I think this is the first time there has felt like a tangible way out of the basement, basically, 
for the last three, four years. You so, would have to think, like, I, I'm not uh, kind of invested in, in the Ottawa Senators, but you'd have to kind of think that this is what their fan base feels like right now. They're a bad team, but they're watching Tim Stutzel come into the lineup and play great. You know, mm-hmm. they're watching a young defenseman in Thomas Shabbat really take a, a step forward. They've got Drake right. Batherson, who, you know, is, is unbelievable this year. And they're not a good team, and they're losing a lot of games, just as much as the Ducks are. But there's a sense of optimism there that hasn't been there in years past when you look at the fact that they had to trade franchise players like Mark Stone and Eric Carlson. And, you know, the the Ducks are, are essentially in the same boat there, moving from an old guard into a younger core here and having these players on a nightly basis to watch. It's like if you, know, you said at the beginning of the show, if we'd have lost this game, I don't think anybody's really walking away from this upset. You know, it, yeah, you you know, it... I mean, maybe, yeah. but... Yeah, like it, it, it's a nice cherry on top that the Ducks won this game and they won it in overtime. Uh, and, and, you know, they can celebrate getting their first NHL goals in, in a win, which is nice. But if they had lost this in overtime or lost in regulation, at the end of the day, we're all still happy because it was first NHL goals for our top two prospects in, in a great game for the young kids, right? Like that, that at the end of the day is, is kind of the big thing here. And, and I think, you know, when you look at Trevor Zegras, he's got one goal and three assists in 11 games. It's not essentially lighting the world on fire, but he's looked great in all those games. And you just kind of feel like he probably deserves a few more points at this point. You know, he's he's made some great passes that a few guys have missed on. He hit the post in, in, in another game. He's missed a few chances. Like, he could be kind of a bit closer to a point per game right now. And I think that's another thing where, you know, when you, you take out just looking at the point totals right now and in, in the amount of games he's played, uh, he, he looks a lot better than, than that kind of, you know, the, the story that that tells. Um, one, one question I want to get here too, because Shane asked it in, um, in the chat and it kind of refers to Drysdale uh, on whether the Ducks have to send him back to the OHL or not. So right now with Jamie Drysdale, the Ducks have two options um, when the OHL does start up. So if the OHL season resumes, which is still in the works right now, there's still a lot of things being finalized uh, with the Ontario government and being able to get you know the OHL underway safely. But if the OHL season does resume, Drysdale can't go back to the AHL because of the NHL-CHL agreement. So the Ducks' only options are to send him back down to Erie or to keep him in the NHL. They don't have to send him back down to Erie. You know, Erie can't recall him, and the Ducks' are, hands are tied, and, and they're forced. There's, there's no situation where the Ducks aren't able to keep him around if they want to. Uh, they just get eliminated. The, the option of sending him down to San Diego gets eliminated once the the OHL season starts up and, and Erie starts resuming their, their ability to play. So, you know, at any point, the Ducks could keep up for the rest of the year if they want to. You just run into that situation of, of burning a year off the the entry-level contract, which, you know, as much as people like to kind of focus on that as a reason to keep a guy up or not, and I think there there are times where it, it is, a, a, you know, a big thing to focus on. If is going to play like this, and if he continues to play like this, I think is the key thing. There is absolutely no point in sending him down to Erie, and, and there's nothing Erie can do about that. And you know, junior teams, as much as I'd love to have their players back and and to make a run at things, Erie is just as happy to see Drysdale succeed at the NHL level, and mm-hmm. and you know, and absolutely. for them, him to be a, you know an alumni of their program, uh, do well with Team Canada at the World Juniors, and then go off to to have such success as an 18 year old in the NHL, they're not going to be upset about. Uh, you know, about him going and, and staying with the Ducks. And, and you know, it, it becomes a real conversation right now where at the beginning, and, and you know, we, we talk about how 
difficult this season has been and, and how detrimental it is to prospects and their development and a lot of the NHL teams. We don't get this in a regular season, which, you know, is, is something you can look on and, and kind of draw some positives out of you know a, a difficult year and a difficult year for a lot of people is in a regular season 82 game season without you know lockdowns and closures of leagues Jamie Drysdale is playing in Erie at the beginning of the year and he's not up here this year he's playing there the entire year because once you go down to the OHL you can't be recalled you can't get, you can't be right. called up like it like the AHL or anything like that so we're extremely lucky that he's able to play here, that he, we were able to see him in San Diego this year, that we actually get to to have this moment, which is something nice to look on, especially when, you know, like I said, it's been such a difficult year for so many people and, and for sports in general, and to be able to kind of take one of the positives out of this and say that this is a moment we wouldn't have normally had without that. It's, it's really nice to be able to see that. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you're hundred percent right. It's definitely such a weird situation. And so I think it's nice to have this kind of, of positive, um, you know, I think it's, it, it raises an interesting question, right? Because like you said, it's hard to think that these two would be in this position in a normal year. Um, but maybe with a full camp and a full preseason, they are, you know what I mean? So it's it's you know it's hard to go backwards and kind of counterfactual your way through or whatever but the reality of the situation is is right around the time when the fan base had to have felt the lowest it's felt in a long time these two guys kind of just come in tonight and just play incredible and you know Zegers had been doing that on his own uh playing really well and like you said there were a number of plays that either he gets lucky uh, a little luck on the post or something like that, or another guy finishes, he's probably got four or five more points at least in this season. Uh, he's been that good and that that creative. Um, but even without that, it's just been wonderful, you know, to see the impact he has. But having two of those guys on the ice, I think, makes a difference because two feels <laughs> like it's gonna sound really stupid, but like two feels closer to a team than one does. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because that's kind of always the thing. It's like, okay, we have this guy, but where where are we going to bring in the help for him? And you can't just bring in middle six help. You have to bring in elite help. You have to bring in other guys who can, you know, be in the conversation for who's the best player on the team. Like you need those caliber of players to really push a team into legitimate contention. As, as important as depth is, elite skill is fundamental to a successful team. And so I just think this is great. And you mentioned it earlier, it kind of came in and out of my brain, but I think the thing that I, that was fun for me is they showed a clip of uh, Zegra sitting on the bench after his goal. And he's got this big smile on his face and he's looking at somebody and he's just kind of laughing. And then you see Getsy skate in and, you know, rub his head a little bit. And it's just so nice to like, see that kind of, 
that kind of handoff. You know what I mean? And it's just so cool. Like, I just think there's a lot of things to be excited about. And as much as the situation has been hard and I don't think this, the season sucks. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it still is what it is. But this is a reason to be very excited going forward. And I think that's the biggest thing tonight is that it's the first night where you really did see, you know, because we've spent we spent a lot of time this year talking about the younger guys and where they could fit in to a team going forward once it's competitive. And what you saw tonight was the ways in which those guys can supplement these two, uh, you know, having Lundestrom and Comtois and Jones and Terry be there to support Zegris and Drysdale is just wonderful. You can see the way in which all of these players can interact and create a successful team together. And when you think, the fact that the Ducks are going to add an, a third guy to that kind of star list, you would hope this year with a, with a you know potential mm-hmm. top five, top ten draft pick, uh, it, it adds to the excitement. And again, like like you said, it it really kind of opens a light at the end of the tunnel where you you see these two guys now producing at the NHL level with with the NHL roster, and then you're adding another guy, and you've got a guy like Jacob Pro in the system who you know you you feel pretty good about in being an impact player you know you still got guys as much as he struggled guys like Braden Tracy you've got Benoit Olivier grew in San Diego and you've got Josh Mahura who's (laughs) who's waiting to uh to yeah I had to mention him I have to I gotta bring him up there I can't uh I can't not mention him but uh you've got all those guys and you know know, Henry Thrun is playing in the USHL and he looks great and he's you know a defenseman you can bring Mm -hmm. up and, and hopefully play in your top four uh, as a three or four eventually as well, if all things go well. Jackson Lacombe was named uh, a Big Ten uh, all-star player. Yeah, first, first teamer. teamer this year because he had a great season with Minnesota. And, uh, you know, he's a guy they took out of high school. Ian Moore has played well with the Chicago Steel after coming out of high school. And I criticize those high school picks, but, you know, they're they're actually panning out pretty well for the Ducks. And you're starting to kind of develop some some really good young players to come up and supplement these two superstars you have and hopefully a third when we look at um, you know whoever they get in in the top five or top ten this year is uh, you know it, it, it's fairly exciting when you, you when you kind of look to the future here and you know one guy we were talking about the kids a, a ton tonight for good reason uh, and it was kind of the the night of milestones with the kids getting their first NHL goals and Getzlaff getting his his 700th assist but we we can't overlook Ryan Miller uh, because not mm-hmm. only did he pass uh, Dominic Hasek in in wins in career wins he played a good game. And we we might be seeing a lot more of him because John Gibson got added to the the injured reserve <laughs> before this game, which means he's out for at least a week, uh, weeks worth of games here. So it's going to be Ryan Miller and Anthony Stolar. So Miller might be able to pad the stats there. Uh, and it's just such a feel good moment, right? Like weren't sure if he was going to come back. He came back to kind of you know hit those records and hit those milestones that he wanted to hit before he calls uh, calls it quits on his career. Um, and it, you know, it's so nice for him to get that opportunity to do that. And, and what's a down year for the ducks. Uh, it's another one of those feel good stories for him to, to really get that and, and kind of end his career on a high note for himself. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting, right? I think it's easy to forget how much uncertainty there was this summer about whether or not he was going to come back and whether, you know, he wanted to play. And if he did want to play, did he want to come to Anaheim and be on a team that felt to everybody outside of, uh, everybody outside of the the GM's office uh, that it wasn't going to be a contending team. 
you know, and at his age and with his family. And there's a lot of, there was a lot of questions and ultimately he ended up coming back and it's been huge. I think, you know, one, he, he's just someone everybody speaks so highly of. Um, and he's seen so much, you know, I mean, he went through some real wild times up and down in Buffalo and, you know, to have someone like that who could just come in and, 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 you know, steady the ship when your all-star level goalie goes down, it's huge, you know, and depending on what the situation with Gibson is, I, I, I almost just on the high that we are riding tonight, want to say it would be kind of fun to bring Dostal up and see what the spine of this team looks like for the next five years uh, or 10 years or whatever. Um, you know, he hasn't been great lately, but that happens. Um, you know, so I just think Miller passing Hashik is very cool. Um, and I think, you know, like I said, I really do think tonight is the blueprint for what you look at for a, a competent season. The young kids made enough plays to keep the game interesting and alive, and the veterans did the thing they needed to do and provided that extra level of support to push them over the top. And I just think that's the recipe you want. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking you you send Drysdale back. I just don't know what the motivation for that would be at this point. You know, if you're worried about hurting his confidence, anything like that, you know, you can always just sit him for a game. We've seen Eakins doesn't have a problem with that. But at, at this point, I, I have a hard time thinking he's, you know, not the second or third best defender on the team already. Like, he just looks so comfortable that I don't, I think you have far more to gain by letting him and Zegers just go buck wild for the rest of the season than you do to lose. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. So I, I hope unless he, you know, visually struggles over the next couple of games here, I don't see uh, any way he gets sent back or any reason to send him back. Um, and even in that, I think you could still make the argument that uh, it is beneficial to keep him up, even if he does have some struggles, because this is a bad team, right? You know, there there are going to be games that he's in that aren't great games for the Ducks. They're they're not going to be you know exciting three two overtime wins. There's going to be some tough times like the game on Tuesday that he's going to be involved in. Uh, but unless he's you know a detriment to this team, I don't see the point in sending him back down, even if he's not having a game where he puts up a goal in, the, in an assist. If he has a quiet game, um, but still looks good, still looks like a, an NHL defenseman. Then you know there's no reason to send them back. Like like I said, we're talking about Zegers' production, and yeah, it's you know one goal and four points in eleven games. But I don't think there's been a game where we said, oh, he doesn't look ready. You know, he doesn't. He looks like he's struggling right. out there. He looks like he's behind the ball. He's looked ready in every single game, and he's looked like an NHL player in every single game. But the Ducks aren't a great team, so there's going to be some struggles, and there's going to be some games where he doesn't put up points, and maybe some games where he's not as noticeable as he wants to be. But that doesn't mean that they're not NHL ready, and I think we have to kind of take the same approach uh, with Jamie Drysdale there. There's a couple of questions I want to get to uh, in the chat before uh, before I miss them here. So the, the, the one's a little off the board here. It's from Dave. He says, should the uh, the Ducks take a flyer on uh, on Taylor Hall? <laughs> at the uh yes absolutely why not Screw it. say yes just who cares as yeah. much as i'd love to see uh taylor hall playing with with trevor zegris um the assets it would i know hall's a rental and uh the cost is a bit lower and you're you're dealing with the sabers team that's in the in the same boat that's here but uh, i don't uh, are we sure the cost is that high at this point kevin adams is just 
you know, holding on for dear life. <laughs> My God, I think we could send him Sam Steele and we might be able to get it done. <laughs> It's so bad over there. Yeah, you, you know, as much as I'd love it, and and I think Taylor Hall is a lot better player than than what's going on this year. Um, you know, even even last year in his last little bit with New Jersey, he was still close to a point per game player or, or at a point per game player. And then obviously we, we remember the like ninety three point season he had with New Jersey. So he still is you know worthy of being you know uh, a first overall pick like he was and and being you know that caliber type of player. But Anaheim can't be can't be a destination he's too happy to go to. When you look at the fact that, you know, he's not really ever been on a competitive team. He left the Oilers to go to the Devils, then went from the Devils. He didn't no, 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 no. He did not leave the Oilers. <laughs> he was he was yes. kicked off the island in a one for one trade, the greatest Bob McKenzie tweet of all time. It, it, it's yes, it's unbelievable. Like I don't right. think I don't want to go on a Taylor Hall rant here, but I don't think I've ever seen a player of his his caliber and his ability waste the prime years of his career getting shifted from bad team to bad team to bad team. Like he goes from the Oilers to the Devils to the Coyotes to the Sabres. That is that is unbelievable. Like he's never found a home on a good team. He's played with good players. You know, he's played with some some really good players, but you know he's. He's the best player he's played with outside of this year. Outside of Jack Eichel, um, yeah, outside of Jack, who I think takes it handily. I can't. He didn't play with Connor McDavid. He went just before the Connor McDavid era, right? I'm trying to remember who everybody he played with, but um, no, he he's got Hopkins. Yeah, Ryan Hopkins Smith. not bad. <laughs> Ryan Smith, I can't believe he threw that in there. Phil Kessel, Clayton uh, Keller. I mean, is it Jacob? Jacob Chikrin, yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's just, it's just unbelievable. Like, you know, this guy, his next destination for himself. Maybe he can't decide where he gets traded to this year. Probably not. But as a free agent, this guy is going to a team that's going to be good. Uh, he's going to a Colorado. He's going to a Toronto. He's going, he's... Are we sure? Because he could have freaking done that, you know. He could have done that a month and a half ago. And we weren't having this freaking conversation. Is this, is this like... his first time? This can't be his first time hitting... UFA status, right? It is. It's his first free agent oh, year. Well, yeah, yeah. Credit to Taylor Hall. He'll actually go somewhere where he can uh, really show his ability. He'll he'll be a guy I'll be be targeting in fantasy hockey next year. Well, it'll be his second free agency because he did choose Buffalo in free agency, so it'll be his second. Yeah, the one year, the one choice. year deal in, but, in Buffalo, right? So, and, and to be honest, like I don't think any when it was signed, it was certainly questionable, but I think you could definitely see. Um, you could see the reason for going there, right? Joining a team, play with Jack Eichel, see if you can help turn it around. Maybe if you're lucky, you get the Jack, you get the Jeff Skinner deal. You get to stay there and score 30 goals a year forever, whatever. And it just hasn't worked out. And so, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, that's, that's the part about team sports, man. You know, it's not like tennis where you're kind of on your own and you should be held responsible for how successful you are. You know, there's 19 other guys every night that got to do something for you to be successful. And, you know, as much as he hasn't pulled his own weight in Buffalo this year, I don't think anybody should have being bad in Buffalo held against him. Yeah. And it, I should point out that Dave wasn't saying the ducks should go after Taylor Hall. He actually mentioned that, uh, that it would be something he wouldn't do. Take it back. Don't let him. Don't let the chat bully you. He's what he said. He said straight up. I read it. He goes, should the Ducks trade for Taylor Hall? Should we give up 
Trevor Zegers, Taylor Hall. <laughs> we'll just add a little bit on each time. Uh, I saw somebody also ask um, what's going on with John Gibson. All we know is it's a lower body injury and he's on the injured reserve now. So no. He could have an ingrown toe for all we know. It. No yeah, I don't, he never, he didn't leave a game injured, did he? He just all of a sudden was out for one game. It was, yeah, it was like almost a game time yeah. decision. We found out right before the game. It's a bit weird that now he's on the injured reserve. So we'll see what, uh, what comes for that uh, for the next little bit. It's not like it affects the Ducks that much. Like, yeah, it affects their chances to win, but it's not like this is a playoff team and John Gibson being out is, you know, a nightmare for everybody. Uh, the guy could probably right. use the rest, to be honest to you. Uh, it, uh, and Ryan Miller getting a couple more games here and, and potentially seeing Anthony Stolarz isn't the worst thing. And I know it's uh, it's off the board here, like you said, but uh, and, and Lucas Dossel has been struggling. But if the Ducks are going full youth movement here and want to give some some guys a <laughs> shot, uh, wouldn't wouldn't be the end of the world to to give Lucas Dostal a shot in the NHL. Not not that he would stick around and and have a roster spot for the entire year. But if you're handing out NHL debuts right now, it would be nice to uh, would be nice to see him get one. Yeah, just go for it. Who cares? Yeah, give. Hell, bring up Perot. I don't care. What, what do we have to yeah, lose? God, I, you know, at this point, just start trading people from the bottom <laughs> six, <laughs> the bottom pair, and just get them. I would have loved to see How Jacob Perot. How many and mid-round draft picks you can get? I wish know. he wasn't hurt. Cause, oh, screw it. Yeah, I wish he wasn't hurt because I'd love to see him right now. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he'd be a guy that I think would fit well. Well, obviously in San Diego, but with this roster too. Uh, I, I know we've talked all the great things. And, and the positive things on the show. There's one thing we have to get to, and it's the only negative we're probably going to talk about here because we only got five minutes left on the show. But we got to talk about Sam Steele because it's three games now as a healthy scratch. I think it's the longest of at least the kids where they've been, you know, the longest yeah. period that they've been healthy scratch now. Um, no injury, or at least no reported injury for, for Sam Steele. It, it's just an assumption right now that they're all healthy scratches just based off his play. What what does this mean for him, and and what is his way back into the lineup? Because if you look at the roster right now, like come to what gets left for Kel, there's really no way he unslots anybody there. Um, when you look at Zegris, Henrik, and Terry, that's staying together. You know the the only the only place you can really see him come in in is maybe the fourth line for Derek Grant or Danton Heinen, who've been scratched on occasion, but is putting him on the fourth line really the best thing? You know, maybe that's the only place for him right now. Um, and then I guess if you look at what is listed as the second line for the Ducks, which is Jones, Lindstrom, Silverberg. There's a potential that he slots in for Isaac Lindstrom uh, if the Ducks no. wanted to sit him. I don't think he deserves to be sat right now. You know, the production Ooh, is, is production is something else with, with Isaac Lindstrom. I think he, he's a great player even without putting up points. You know, he, he kind of fills a role that we expected from him, and when he puts up points, it's nice. Uh, but right now, you know, Sam still doesn't have many options to get back into the lineup, and especially when the Ducks are winning games. You know, they lost eight to four, and they kept the same roster. They just won three to two in overtime. I can imagine they go in against Arizona in this next game, and have the exact same roster. And Sam still sits for a fourth mm-hmm. straight game, and then you start getting speculation at that point. And you know, I don't think he's going to get traded. And I think it, it, you know, it's it's too soon to make those kinds of speculation. But you can't sit this guy forever. And, and not play him, uh, especially at his age. And, you know, I, I can't remember if he's waiver exempt. I believe he still is. So it is an option if you wanted to send him down to San Diego. But that would be, you know, outside of putting him back in the lineup, that's the next step for him because you can't just not play him. So it's either play him or send him down to San Diego and get him some playing time down there. Yeah, yeah. He So according to Cap Friendly, 
all praise on high. Uh, he is at the moment still waiver exempt, which I thought was definitely the big reason they hadn't done it yet. But, you know, I, DB mentioned it while you were talking, and it was what I was thinking too, which is, I think at a certain point you have to wonder if he's kind of a Cogliano. You know, Cogliano was drafted to be, uh, you know, second center for uh, those Edmonton teams, and he just wasn't that. But they shifted him to the wing in Anaheim, and he became, you know, whether he got the the full credit he deserved, like, I think he was very definitively a Selkie quality player for his defensive ability and his ability to drive play. And, you know, I think a lot of us were very frustrated at times with his uh, seemingly inability to finish. Um, but the fact remains, he was a great player for the Ducks. He fit a role and it allowed him to use his speed and his smarts more effectively. I, I have a hard time thinking Sam Steele deserves to be a center over Lundestrom, Rico, or Getzloff. I have no problem with taking out Grant and playing a skilled fourth line. I think that would be fine. Um, but I think it's important that if they're going to keep that, that line together, then I think you have to look at maybe doing something, you know, take D'Lo out for a game. Look at a Grant Heinen uh steel line just see what it looks like you know put steel out there on the wing see what you can do you know i think we talked about this a little bit of, a couple of weeks uh, like a week or so ago or whatever but you know there's a log jam on this team at forward and on defense uh this is a great opportunity to start moving some of these guys on and trying to get some decent picks you know or you know a prospect or whatever um and give some of these guys a better chance you know and if they don't think Steele's in the future, like, I, you know, it sucks, all things considered, but you may got to look at Luke moving him, you know, before his value completely tanks and he's seen as a total bust. Um, you know, it, it's always frustrating to talk about players like that because they're people and, you know, we want the best for them. But I do think there is a unfortunate reality to professional sports that comes into play here. And, you know, I, I do think we've seen players benefit from moves. You know, I'm not saying to trade him, but I think if you're not going to send him down and you're not going to try and move him to the wing, then I, I think you need to start, you know, maybe making some phone calls and seeing if anybody does need a center, if that's what you think he is. Yeah, eventually, you're like, you're, there's already a logjam, uh, and that logjam becomes a, a, a little bit bigger next year. Uh, just with players coming up from the girls. I won't mention his name because you all know who I'm talking about, but he, he will uh, eventually be a center at the NHL level in uh, Benoit Levy grew and he will come up, and, and that is another player who will be competing for a roster spot. And depending who the Ducks take with their pick here, if they take a, a Matthew Beniers out of Michigan, does he, you know, does he walk onto the roster next year? Probably not. He probably plays another year in the NCAA, but then he pulls his egress potentially and, and becomes, uh, you know, a, a Ducks player the year after that. Uh, and if Sam's still still here at that point, there's another center who has a lot higher profile than you do, who is vying for a roster spot at that point, right? And you know, by all, all things considered, Getzlaff and, and Henrik will be here next year as two centers on this team. And yeah, yeah I know Henrik's moved to the wing at times, but he's likely going to play center when he's playing as well as he is now. And it becomes difficult to get Sam Steele in the lineup. And I don't think the organization wants to play him at the wing because I think they value 
what he does as a centerman and the fact that he wins 56% of his faceoffs. You know, again. But, 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 but wait up, real quick. Here's my point to that. Why does he become less valuable on a faceoff if you move him to the wing? I don't you think don't he does. You have to play your center. You know what I mean? Like, play him with a right handed center, and now what you have is two guys who theoretically are effective in the faceoff dot. You have a lefty out there and a righty out there. And you just go, look, if it's at this spot, you're taking it. If it's at this spot, you're taking it. You know, I, I, I do think, and this is a bigger conversation, but I do think it's hard sometimes to tell where we aren't giving the NHL enough credit and where the NHL is cutting itself short as far as uh, tactically. Because I, I do think when you pull back a little bit and you do try to move into a, a, a F3 kind of situation and just look at forwards and look at what they can do. I do think the idea of putting Sam Steele on the wing becomes less offensive or odious just because what you're doing is taking a player that you have that has a skill set that you value and putting them in a position to succeed. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just saying, like I do think that sometimes this stuff can be galaxy brained and it's hard to know how much of it is us having just kind of been beaten into submission by NHL teams refusing to embrace any sense of modernity and how much of it is us not just giving them enough credit to think that they might try something different. Yeah, and I don't think it's the, the worst thing to put him on, on the wing at all either. And I, and I agree with that. And, and having a guy who can win faceoffs on the wing is a great option to have. And there's a lot of teams out there who kind of utilize that and where they have you know one, you know know two or three guys who have been centers at some point or can win faceoffs at an efficient rate out there on one line just to, to kind of have that uh, you know secondary option if one guy does get thrown off out of the faceoff dot. So I, I don't think Sam putting Sam Steele on the on the wing um, is a bad thing. I just don't know which winger he you know takes out of the lineup at this point. When you look at it, there's no way That's, there's no yeah. way he's displacing um, come to our Raquel. The way Troy Terry's playing, he's not coming out. Trevor Zegers is not getting thrown out of the lineup for for Sam Steele. And then, you know, Max Jones, probably not. Jakob Silverberg, definitely not. So then again, you you fall down to the fourth line. And, you know, would I rather have Sam Steele in the lineup over Derek Grant? Yeah. Would I rather have him in, in the lineup over Nick Delore? Sure. Uh, I don't think Nick Delore is going to come out. He rarely does. Uh, and and this, he hasn't been bad. But, uh, you know, if... He's been fine. He's been exactly what he is. Yeah. It's if I could have a fourth line of Steele, Heinen, Milano over Grant, Delore, and Heinen tonight, I would. I hundred percent would. I would definitely have a fourth line of, of those guys. I know uh, Milano's dealing with I think post concussion syndrome. Somebody put that uh, or post concussion symptoms. Sorry that somebody put that in uh, the chat earlier. So not sure when when he's coming back. He's on the IR right now as well. But even if it was Delorier, Steele, and Heinen. I like that better than Grant Delory and Heinen and, and just allowing Sam mm-hmm. Steele to play. So, you know, I I don't know if he gets in next game because this was kind of a, a pretty big high for the Ducks and the fact that, uh, you know, they're yeah. stuck with the same lineup two games in a row. Uh, it, it feels like uh, a stretch to find a way for him to get back into the lineup. And, you know, somebody did mention in the chat that, you know, it's only been three games and we're talking about trading Sam Steele and we're, we're, we're speculating a lot of things. But, it you know, the reason we're talking about it is because it hasn't happened this year. There, there hasn't been a time where you know a young player from the Ducks has been scratched three games in a row, and right. it it. I mean, I don't think there's really happened to anybody other than Henrique, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know he has been scratched three games, but you know potentially he could have been sent down to San Diego if they played this week, but they don't play until Saturday. 
So there is really no other place to send him other than him being a healthy scratch at this point if he's not going to play. So I don't remember the last time we saw Sam Steele get sent back down to San Diego. It's It's been a, a few seasons, I think, which, since we, we've seen that. But it, it might not be the worst thing in the world for him right now. We've seen it work in the past with guys like Troy Terry and Max Jones. And, you know, maybe at this point in time, it, it's just the right move for Sam Steele to build some confidence back up to get him down to San Diego. And God knows the the goals could use a player like Sam Steele right now, the way they've been playing and, and what his experience at the NHL level can do for that team. And, and that only builds his confidence. So I'm interested to see uh, what, what kind of is the next steps here for Sam Steele. If it's uh, getting back into the Ducks lineup, if it's going down into to San Diego, or if it's kind of sticking in limbo here and, and being a healthy scratch every game. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I, the one name that you mentioned, because I, I think everything you said was right. Like, you know, I don't think Sam Steele deserves to play over Max Jones. Um, you know, so it, it really is just that fourth line is kind of the spot that I think you you can look at. I think the thing that's interesting is what happens if, you know, the team does, does, some, does do something. If they move Raquel, does that give... Um, Sam Steele an opportunity to move into the lineup in a different role or does that go to Bacchus you know what I mean and they they move Heinen up in the lineup and bring Bacchus in to play between D'Lo and Grant or whatever um, I, I think it's a very interesting it's a very interesting situation um, but I, I think if the plan isn't to get him in games they need to send him down especially now knowing for sure that he's waiver exempt there's no there's no reason to, to do this to him. He's not getting better. Um, he's not getting better sitting on the bench. And I don't know that it's doing anything for his confidence to, to just sit there. So I think, you know, San Diego's a big thing for him and he's had success down there before. So I don't know why you won't maybe send him down there and give him an extra year. He might just not be done cooking, man. It happens. Yeah. yeah and even if it's not for the whole year, even if it's just for a few games to see how he does, I don't think that's the end of the world right now. I think that, is a better option than for, for him sitting out. And I, and I completely understand the reason he is sitting out right now, or at least one of the reasons he's sitting out right now and not in San Diego is because they're, they're not playing right now and you just, you can't mm-hmm. send him down. So at least, you know, keep him up with the team and have him practice with the team. And if a guy gets, you know, an injury and you need to throw somebody in there, you can throw, you know, Sam Steele in there and that's fine. Uh, so it's not uh it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, before we wrap up here, I want to kind of get to one question we had on Twitter from earlier. Uh, it's from Tom uh, referencing the power play. He said, why has there been no net front presence on the power play? I think he was referring specifically to this game. Uh, he said, it seems that they create little high danger chances for without it. I think for this game in general, they changed the approach to the power play to fit Jamie Drysdale into the lineup. They went with two defensemen. Where normally, you know, Zegers is on the right circle. They've got Getzlaff on on the far side, and they throw Max Jones in front of the net, and then they kind of have a, a rotating forward, and then the one defenseman. And I think when you throw two defensemen into the mix, you've got two guys patrolling the blue line. You've got two guys on the far circles, and you've got kind of one guy usually behind the net, or kind of circling around behind the net near the front of the net. So it's really hard to have a net front presence when you're rocking two defensemen. Uh, it's not possible. It's been done before. But, you know, Shattenkirk then shifts down to the right circle where Getzlaff is. And then Getzlaff is not really a net front guy. And he starts patrolling 
behind the net and, and kind of making passes from there. And then Zegris sits in his normal spot, and then Drysdale's kind of patrolling the blue line is what we saw in the power play. So I don't think it's anything, at least for now, to read into. I think the Ducks have had success having a net front presence. I think Max Jones is the perfect guy for that. Um, but even when they did have that, it's not like the power play was firing on all cylinders, right? It, it, it The power play is the worst in the league, for or one of the worst in the league, uh, for a reason, uh, and it doesn't hurt to kind of change things up when you have a new player like Jamie Drysdale come into the lineup, and then you know maybe this maybe changing it this way is, is something that works. And I think that's what they're trying to do in this game. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any reason not to try new stuff. It's not like you know they're clicking, like you said. Uh, I I do think it's worth pointing out specifically regarding net front presences. We have seen Max Jones do that. Um, and we've seen Max Comtois get in there a little bit, but what they seem to have done lately is favored uh, having a, like Raquel kind of sit a couple feet away from it and be able to just kind of be a a goal line up pass option uh, just to get those little snapshots off. But I think if you look at the overtime, they put Getzloff in front. You know, I mean, the Henry goal, Getzloff was positioning himself specifically for that play he was trying to put himself in a position where he was blocking uh hill's ability to like look to his left while also getting his stick in front of him and in front of hill to allow him to get him a tip i i think i talked i think we talked about this like a month or so ago but i really do thinking moving getzloff to the front of the net is a huge thing uh that anaheim should really be trying because one it puts a an elite passer in a position where you don't usually have elite passers but again he's six foot four like and he's 230 pounds or whatever he like he's a big dude there's no reason other than at in the past he was the best passing option on the team to not put him down there and now when you have guys like Dreesdale and like Zegris and even like Troy Terry who's coming along and Raquel and Rico and Comtois are still there um, I I think you should be willing to try more interesting things, do more interesting things, and putting Getzloff in the front of the net, I think, could be something that could really help generate um options for uh, a, a struggling power play, like he said, and they haven't been good. Um, so I don't think they should be you know dumbing their noses up at any idea. Yeah, I think it's a it's a whole different dynamic having. Ryan Getzlaff in front of the net because it's not the same as Max Jones where he's blocking up the sun and if any loose pucks drop, he's got the hands to put the puck in the back of the net. With Ryan Getzlaff, it opens up a, a new opportunity where you know you've got Zegras on one circle and you know right now it's Shattenkirk, but whoever it is, Terry or, or whoever on the other circle, where you can feed passes into Ryan Getzlaff in front of the net and he can draw defensemen in and potentially open up that backdoor pass and he has the passing ability to make that play and even if he doesn't make that play putting getting the puck down to ryan getzlaff in front of the net draws in defenders and gets other guys mm-hmm. open and you know he could feed the puck back to zegris who could send it all the way across for a one-timer and that's in the back of the net like i said he could pass the puck across the, the, the crease himself and open up for a chance and, and i think it it just opens up a, a bunch of new possibilities for the ducks on the power play to have him in that spot, whether they're going to utilize him like that or not remains to be seen. It's only been one game and and he really wasn't a facilitator of down low passes. You know, he, there weren't a lot of passes that went into him and it wasn't like 
that was the focus to the for the Ducks on the power play. But I would love to see that be something that they explore because we've seen successful power plays in the past have that guy who, yeah, he's a big guy, he's in that front presence, but he's there to receive passes in tight, drawing defenders and make the play. And, you know, if anybody mm-hmm. is kind of perfect for that in this league, even at his age, it's Ryan Getzlaff because he has... I think specifically at yeah. his age, it's great because it takes a lot of the pressure of having to... Sorry, I don't mean to talk about no. people. I really sorry, but it just, I think it works so perfectly because it takes the pressure off of him of having to hold the line. You give that to guys with younger legs, um, you know, and a little bit better skaters. Um, you know, skating has never been Getzlaff's strong suit uh, or his best ability by that, you know. But, but like you said, I just think the, 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 the opportunities that you create both in spacing out talent across two power play units and in creating a multitude of looks on a power play with a true playmaker at the front of the net is incredible. I think it gives you so many options and so many different ways to be creative that you know and I, I i did they did do it i think maybe 10 or so games ago uh i remember seeing it and it really struck out to me but i'm pretty sure he scored a goal on a power play from the front of the net or set somebody up or something but he had a very positive impact for a power play you know and it, it might have just been one of those things where he ends up there based on the way guys are moving around but there is something there you know i think the fact that they they did it even if it is just for that four on three it does show you know that it's it can work because he's huge and he's skilled i think the one thing here that uh that we can all agree on is that there is hasn't been this level of excitement for the upcoming game uh than there than there has been now i think you know when you look ahead to saturday um for I guess it'd be a 5 p.m. start for you guys uh, against Arizona Coyotes. That uh, that's the game that everybody's looking forward to now, just because of the outcome from this game. It's it's the a level of excitement we haven't had for a, an upcoming game. I think at all this year, um, you know, in terms of what we're doing for the podcast that day, we're still ironing out the details if we can go live after Saturday's game. Depends on the avail- availability of of. Uh, of of everybody for that show uh at the very least it would be potentially another sunday morning show like we did last saturday uh, after the post game show uh so if it's not after saturday's game it uh would likely then be a sunday morning show uh we had dave in the chat ask a bit about uh some upcoming patreon shows so we are planning uh at least one if not two pucks and brews uh, for this month definitely planning on one for the 28th which is looking like it could be just because of the timing uh, Pucks and Brews that actually is a watch along uh, for that game just because, you know, usually we record Pucks and Brews in the afternoon. It just so happens the Ducks play in the afternoon. We we usually record on Sunday, so it kind of works pretty well with, with what we're going to do for that. So anybody who is a Patreon member or wants to be in on that show and wants to join the Patreon, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash forevermighty and check out some of the uh, bonus content we have there. Uh, but like I said, we, we are planning on um, doing a show after the Arizona game on Saturday, just to you know, stay tuned on whether that's going to be a post game show um, after the game on Saturday or for Sunday morning for, for everybody that wants to come out live. Again, we love that you guys came out and supported us tonight. We uh, are more than, <laughs> more than happy with the outcome of this game uh, and, and the step forward for some of these, uh, these young guys. 
And uh, we'll see you guys all out there after the Coyotes game on this weekend. Bye, everybody. Have a great night. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.